0: Our text this morning is in Philippians 4, but I'm going to begin by reading from Psalm 3. Just listen to this psalm. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I lie down and sleep. I lie down and sleep. Anybody can lay down at night. The question is, can you sleep? The psalmist describes himself here as surrounded by enemies. He's confronted by difficulties and trials. He's engulfed by a countless number of problems and issues and threats. All around me, he says, constantly. Yet this powerful statement in verse 5, I lie down and sleep. How? Because of his total and unflinching trust in God to take care of him and to take care of everything. Because the Lord sustains me. You know, sometimes I think this is the litmus test for our Christian faith. This is where the rubber meets the road for our Christianity, because it's one thing to say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, right? It's one thing to read the Bible and say, I believe all of this, and I'm going to follow all of these things. That's one thing, but it's a whole other thing entirely when your discipleship to Jesus and your faith in God keep you in a continual state of joy and peace, even when the whole world's against you. And to me, this is so fundamental and so important because it is so real and practical. This isn't theological supposition here. This isn't just religious theory because right now, today, you are in a particular position. Right now, today, you are in a very real situation with a lot of things happening to you and around you, putting pressure on you. That is true for you right now today. It is true for me. It's true for all of us, right? You've got family. You've got marriage. You've got health concerns. You've got money issues. You've got car. You've got school. You've got things that are changing. You've got all these things for all of us, for me, for you, for everybody you've ever met. Everybody on every pew in this room and everybody in our city, we're all dealing with something. The question is, does your faith in God and your discipleship in Jesus, does it make you any different from those who are not Christians? That matters. Not just for our own peace and joy. I think it's important for our Christian witness in our city. Because people will say, They don't care anything about your church. They don't care anything about your doctrine. They don't want to hear anything you have to say about God or Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. But if these people are unhappy, if they're frustrated, if they're uncertain, if they're scared, and that's all of us in here and out there, if there are any of those things And they run into a bunch of people who are dealing with the same circumstances they are, but these people are characterized by joy and peace. I think that matters. I think that's important. So, toward the end of his letter to the Christians in Philippi, Paul writes these words, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, there's the motto, right? There's the slogan. There's this really familiar verse that we've all heard a million times. We're we're familiar with this. You've probably pulled this verse out and used it when you're talking to a friend who's in a tight spot. You know, hey, we need to pray. Let's pray about this. If we'll give this to God, he will give us peace. If you'll pray, you'll have peace. Now, I believe that's true. That's what it says right here. And I really do believe this. You give everything to God in prayer, and he will give you a divine peace that surpasses all human understanding. But wait. You ever prayed to God about something and you did not find that peace? You ever given something to God in prayer, but you still lie awake at night, sick with worry? You pray, but, but you're still anxious? You're still afraid? What's going on with this? Does, does prayer lead to peace or not? And again, I think this is so vital to our own joy and peace. And I think this is so critical to our Christian witness that we understand this and that we live it. And so let's look at a couple of pieces of this. First, let's realize that the peace of God is a promise from the very beginning. Peace in the Bible is shalom. Okay, we know that. That's the Hebrew word, shalom. And from the very beginning, for centuries and centuries now, God's people have understood the word shalom as much more than just, hey, we're not at war right now. Shalom, peace, means wholeness, it means completeness. This is total security and, and perfect health. This is a perfect state of harmony and communion with God and your family and with your neighbors and with every man and woman in your community. Peace, shalom. To a child of God, this has always meant prosperity and land and health and a good job. And your football team is winning, you know. Everything's working. Everything's good. That's shalom. That's peace. And it's the most important and highest esteemed concept among the Jews forever. It's still that way to this day. In the Torah, in the book of God's law, in Leviticus chapter 26, the Lord says, I will grant peace, shalom, in the land, and you will lie down. Sounds like Psalm 3. You will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. And I will keep my covenant with you. I will put my dwelling place among you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Numbers chapter 6. This is the priestly blessing. This is what God's people heard every single time they came together for any reason. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Numbers 25, God's covenant with his people is called the covenant of peace. Psalm 29, the passage we read as a call to worship this morning, reminds us that the Lord gives strength to his people and the Lord blesses his people with peace. Psalm 85 says, I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints. God's prophets always look forward to the day when God would deliver his ultimate peace in the promised Messiah. Isaiah calls the Messiah the Prince of Peace. And his reign is not just going to be for Israel. It's going to be for the whole world. Zechariah 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. God's people longed for that universal peace of God. They wrote songs about it. They preached about it. They they prayed for it. They looked for it. And brothers and sisters, that peace of God, that perfect shalom peace has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The promised peace of God is ours In Jesus, in Luke chapter two, Jesus is born and the heavens just explode as the angelic armies sing for all to hear, glory to God in the highest and peace, peace on earth, peace to all mankind. The old man in the temple, Simeon, he takes the Christ child into his arms and he praises God, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in Peace, why? Because I've seen your salvation now. Jesus heals the bleeding woman. And remember what he says? Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He forgives the prostitute's sins. And what does he say? Go in peace. Around the table on that last night, Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Just a couple of days later on Sunday, the resurrection day, Jesus Christ is brought out of the grave by the Holy Spirit and his very first words to his followers are, peace be with you. The very next Sunday at dinner time, he shows up again and the very first word out of our risen Lord's mouth are peace be with you. Jesus Christ left the glory he shared with the Father at the right hand in heaven to come to this earth to reconcile all men and women back to God and back to one another, to bring that ultimate shalom, to bring that promised peace of God to all of creation. And church, here's the good news. Now that Jesus has won that great victory at the cross... Now that Jesus has defeated sin and death and Satan forever, and now that he reigns in all glory and power at the right hand of the Father in heaven, we possess that peace of God. It's ours. We own it. Peter preached what he called the good news of peace of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he himself is our peace. He destroyed the barriers. He abolished the walls of hostility. All the things that separated us from God, all the things that divided us from one another, all that's gone. All of that's been nailed to the cross. It's been annihilated forever. His purpose, Paul writes, is making peace. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we all have access to the Father by one spirit promised peace our relationship with God and our relationship with one another because of the life death and resurrection of Jesus that's the peace that transcends all understanding that's the peace that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus when we pray when we pray yes that's that's what it says right Again, let's, let's read it. You know this passage, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, then why isn't it working? I pray all the time, but it's just, uh, why isn't it working? Okay, this is why we can't take these slogans and these super familiar verses in Philippians and take them out of context and use them for our own purposes. Okay, we, we've got to keep this inside the framework of what's happening with these Christians in Philippi before we can faithfully apply it to us Christians in Midland. And you know, in this whole letter, Philippians there's only about a dozen verses where Paul tells them how to live and what to do the rest of this book most of this book is reminding us of what God has done and is doing through Jesus Christ so prayer yes but look prayer is not a technique okay prayer is not a formula And you'll see books on prayer and you'll hear sermons about how to pray and worse, sometimes how to pray effectively. Those very ideas can turn prayer into a technology. You know, if I can just get in the right mood, if I can just say the right words, if I can just get enough people to pray with me, then, then God will give me what I need or I can get God to do what I want. You've heard people say before, thank you so much, your prayers are working. Or, thank you, I just, I had the right people praying. You know, or we need to get more people praying. You've heard these things, right? So when you don't get what you want from God, is it because you had the wrong people praying? You need more people to pray? Like how many more, 10 more? Maybe you need 40 or 50 more. How many more people do you need? The way we think about it, the way we talk about it, sometimes it's like God is a vending machine and prayer is making sure we can figure out the right combination of coins and buttons to unlock what we need. The peace of God is realized in prayer. But prayer is more than just what happens between dear God and amen. Paul's talking about a prayerful understanding. He's talking about a prayerful attitude. Paul is talking about a prayerful outlook on life, a prayerful relationship with God based on everything else he's written in the first three plus chapters of Philippians. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 only works, if you will, if you are these three things first, okay? Here's the first thing. If you are surprised by your salvation. I think the fact that we are saved by the amazing grace of a merciful God should startle us every single day. The fact that the holy and righteous creator of heaven and earth sacrificed everything to save a wretched sinner like me, that should overwhelm me every couple of hours. Several times a day, I think, I ought to be shocked by that news all over again. My salvation is impossible, yet it happened. My salvation? No way. Yes, in Jesus Christ. That ought to blow me out of the water at least a few times a day. Paul says your salvation is a miracle, and you can't forget it. Remember, he starts this letter by reminding us that God is bringing this wonderful miracle of salvation to completion. He says, we all share in God's matchless grace. We've all been made pure and blameless, he says. We're all filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 2, he says, look at what Jesus did for you. Jesus gave up everything. To save you. And he gives us all this soaring, sweeping, magnificent poetry about the sacrifice of our Lord who is right now today, he says, working in us and through us according to his wonderful purposes. In chapter 3, our righteousness is not our own. We don't have any righteousness. All of it comes from God. It's an outrageous gift from God. And we are beloved children of that merciful God. We are privileged citizens of that heavenly kingdom. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body surprised by salvation we've also got to be confident of god's care again listen to the beginning of this letter paul is confident that this good thing god has started in you he will finish it he will see it through god's not going to quit on you ever Paul says, I'm in jail right now. Yes, but that's causing more and more people to preach the Word of God more courageously. And I know some of these preachers are selfish and they're mean, but what does it matter, Paul writes? Christ is being preached and God is working out all the details. Whatever's happening to me, Paul says, is going to turn out in the end to be for my deliverance. Chapter 2, I'm confident, he says, I myself will see you soon. This isn't a superficial obliviousness that ignores reality, okay? Paul's not just whistling past the graveyard here. Paul really does trust in the love of God that saves him and the love of God that will take care of him and protect him through all of his circumstances. Everything that happens to Paul is in God's hands, God is fully sovereign. God is totally in control of everything that's coming Paul's way, and Paul's great with that because he knows God loves him. Jesus displayed that exact same confidence in God's care. The Apostle Peter writes, At the end of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he says, When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Church, that's the key. Peter's got it. Paul's got it. And they got it from Jesus. Here's what Peter writes. 1 Peter 5, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Here's what Paul writes. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Here's the third thing. Prayer will bring you peace if you are identified with Christ. Now, this is the hardest one. This is the one where we don't have peace. In the movie Rocky, the first Rocky movie, there were like 14 of them, I think, but Sylvester Stallone's character is asked by his girlfriend, Adrian. She asked him, why is it so important that you go the distance in this fight? And he said, if I go the distance... I'll prove I'm not a bum. In Chariots of Fire, one of the main characters is explaining why he trains so hard for the 100-yard dash. Because, he says, at the beginning of every race, I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. Wow. Both of these men are looking to athletic achievement as the defining force in their lives, the very thing that gives their lives purpose and meaning. I'm an athlete, and so if I excel in athletics, then that means I matter. I'm important. I I have a purpose. I am somebody. But if I fail, then I'm a nobody. I don't matter. Why? Because I'm an athlete. That's, That's the identity part. That's a pretty tough thing to live up to. But we're all looking for that same significance. It's important that that, that all of us matter. You know, we, we all need to have worth. We all need to have value. We all need to know that our lives have purpose and they're important. But if we're looking to anything or to anyone outside of Christ for that identity, Friend, you're not going to have any peace. You just won't. Think about that. Where is your identity? Who are you? Well, I'm a doctor, I'm a business owner, I'm a great mother, I'm a proud American, I'm a successful oil guy, I'm an elite runner. I'm a popular teacher. That's who I am. And if that is your lens for understanding who you are, if almost everything in your life revolves around that and runs through that as your identity, that's a problem. If that's who you are, And you're devoting most of your time and energy and resources to that. And if that thing is centrally connected to your significance and your purpose and your happiness, that is shaky at best. I'm a great mother. Okay. What happens if one of your kids makes a really, really, really awful decision? You're a loser now? You're a worthless person I'm a successful doctor, okay. What happens if you lose one of your patients? What happens if the technology passes you by? You're a nobody? Now you're a failure? I'm a proud American, all right. What happens if the USA goes completely off the rails? What then? I'm an elite runner, fine. What happens if you get sick or if you get old? I'm a successful oil guy, great. What about when everything dries up? I'm a popular teacher, okay. What happens when people stop coming to your class? See, if anything threatens your identity, you're not just gonna be anxious, you're gonna be angry or you're gonna be afraid. You know, if my daughter goes down the drain or if my marriage ends, then my whole life is a failure. If I can't teach anymore, then my life doesn't have any purpose. If I get that disease, my life is over. If they ever legalize gay marriage, then we've lost everything. Some parents are a little too wrapped up in the athletic achievements of their children. Some people are a little too tangled up in their jobs and their careers. I think the unrest in the world and the increased secularization of the United States is throwing us off a little more than it should. Your identity as a person, hear me on this, it's everything. It is. So if you lose your identity because somebody messes up or because some structure or some, sort of some system has failed, you're going to be resentful. You're also going to be locked up in bitterness. Bitterness. And if you lose your identity because it's your fault, because of some shortcoming or some sin or some mistake on your part, then you might hate yourself or you might see yourself as a failure the rest of your life. Either way, these things don't hold up. There's no peace here. That's why Paul reminds these Christians throughout the whole letter that their identity is in Christ. He addresses it to the saints in Christ Jesus, and he says, I am in chains for Christ. He says, you are preaching in the Lord. He says, we rejoice in the Lord, and I'm hoping in the Lord. And he says, I am confident in the Lord. And he says, Euodia and Syntyche agree with each other in the Lord. And he says, we worship by the Spirit of God. And he says, we glory in Christ Jesus. And he says, we don't put any confidence in the flesh. I'm in chapter 3 now, verse 7. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. If your identity is in Christ, if your true self is in Jesus, you'll never be let down. You'll never be threatened. He is Lord. What's going to take him down? If everything about you is based on Jesus... Your self-worth, your security, your future, who you are, your significance. If all of that revolves around and runs through Jesus Christ as your identity, you can't mess that up. You can't ever lose that. No sinful or evil human can ever take that away from you. You can only serve one master, and Jesus is the only master Who if you give yourself completely to him, he will fill you completely. And if you ever fail him, he'll forgive you eternally. I want to know Christ. I want to be in Christ. I want to be identified, all of me, in Jesus. C.S. Lewis famously wrote, The almost impossibly hard thing is to hand over your whole self to Christ. But it's far easier than what we're all trying to do instead. I'm going to leave that up there just for a second so you can take a picture of it or you can scan it or you can write it down and text it or tweet it or repost it or put it on your mirror later today. The almost impossibly hard thing is to hand over your whole self to Christ but it's far easier than what we're all trying to do instead. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Give everything to God in prayer. Everything. The tiny insignificant things and the hugely important things, your eternal salvation and your next paycheck, your relationships and your dog's arthritis, your sins and the Freon in your car's air conditioning, everything, give it to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Bible makes a direct connection Between giving everything to God and being kept secure, being kept saved, being guarded by the peace of God. The instruction here in Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is to be anxious about nothing. The the appeal here is to give everything to God in prayer. The posture here is one of thanksgiving. Anybody can lie down at night. The question is, can you sleep? I'm reminded of Daniel. Remember the old prophet Daniel? Remember Daniel? Three times a day in his room, on his knees, looking out the window towards the Lord in prayer. That was his life. That was his attitude. That was his outlook. On his knees, three times a day, prayer, petition. Help me, God. Thank you, God. Thanksgiving. Daniel winds up in a lion's den, surrounded by danger and threat and death, completely at peace, secure, saved. And the Bible says King Darius is in his palace, surrounded by his health, by his wealth, by the power of his position. And the Bible says King Darius is unable to eat or sleep. I lie down at night and I sleep. How? The Lord, the Lord sustains me. That's how. Two minutes. We're going to shut this thing down for two minutes and we're just going to pray. You're going to pray. I'm going to pray. We're not going to make a sound in here. We're going to give everything to God in prayer. You know what you need to give to him today. I'd say if you want to move closer to somebody to pray, do that. If you want to grab somebody's hand, do that. If you just want to, hey, leave me alone. This is me and God right now. I mean, now's the time to do that. I would say give everything to God in prayer right now. There's nothing too insignificant. There's nothing too impossible to give to God right now. Talk to him about your anxieties, those things in your life that are causing you worry. Give them to him. Talk to him about your sins. But give everything to God in prayer and the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Give everything to God in prayer and receive his peace.